Welcome, everybody, to the Pixel Classroom Podcast. I am your host, Ryan Reed. Here, we'll talk about everything from education to passion, innovation, X-Factor, pop culture, entrepreneurship, and more. And if you like what you hear, please think of subscribing to us. We would love to have you continue listening and supporting the Pixel Classroom Podcast. And now, let's get to today's episode. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pixel Classroom Podcast. This is episode 23 here for September 2022, and I've got quite the guest on here. I've talked about him. I've definitely uh, made references to his uh, his business and his online uh, comic and everything. So he's a longtime comic book fan and collector, and his love of comics began at a young age and continues this day through his own web comic series, The Collectors, which, honestly, I read weekly, too. And when he's not doing that, he's also co-owner and manager of the historic comic book shop Heidi Ho Comics in San Monica, California, which, of course, one thing is Santa Monica is, of course, where I am originally was born. So there's a little thing. Otherwise, he's usually living in L.A. with his wife, Kristen, and they are always preparing for the zombie apocalypse, even though the comic says there is no such thing as zombie. But I would like to welcome the one and only N.E.D. See, and I can't say his name right. Angelini to the Pixel Clasher. And we just went over trying to say your name right. Yeah, we practiced it. I <laughs> Angelini, Good there we go. I'm, I'm not there you go. Thank you. We're keeping that. We're keeping that. That's, yes. <laughs> that, makes no, that was funny. <laughs> I, it must I, be my my last name has been butchered far worse in my lifetime by other people. So don't even feel bad. Okay, I mean, people always just spell my last name, right? I even had somebody the other day in my new school say, read our ED, and I said, that's not how you spell my name. <laughs> it's like, it's like, <laughs> read a book. So, Eddie, um, you know, we, we've talked about, but why don't you give our listeners uh, just a little background about you and what kind of uh, led to you as the, uh, as they say, the uh, founder of the uh, Collector's Comic Book Series. You've had quite an interesting uh, career in life here. Uh, yeah, uh, the, the comic strip is, as of this year, it is uh, 10 years running. It's been going that long. I had to pinch myself the other day because I couldn't believe it. Uh, just started it 10 years ago back in 2012 with the, uh, well, with just the desire to just do something within comics. Always loved comics growing up. Uh, took, a, took a departure from comics back in the 90s when I was in my late teens, early 20s and got more interested in other things. But came back to it later in life and just remembered how much I loved comics and how much uh, I used to love drawing and creating my own comics when I was a kid. And I thought, well, why not try to do something like that again? Because I've always had ideas, creative ideas that I always wanted to develop and never did because I felt like, oh, that's just you can't make a living off of that. And uh, I just decided, well, I want to do it, whether it makes money or not, because it's just something that I enjoy. And I had the idea for my comic strip collectors and just started writing some gags and drawing some of it and posting some of it. And it just took off from there and just decided I'm going to do this as a weekly webcomic. And it's been 10 years of that. And of course, in the process of all that, I've uh, published six collected volumes of my work. And uh, there's a 
uh, collected trade paperback coming out at the end of this month that, that combines those first three annuals in one book because those first three annuals are now completely sold out. And I think I might be building those too because I have the I have the first two collections actually downstairs in my shop too. But I wanted to get one earlier. Of course, you know, switching schools did not help good with the budget though very much. But no. it's really good too because I remember when you were posting those back on the uh, Spider Man Crawl Space, and I've had both Brad and Zach on here before too. But it's really interesting. I always got a kick out on Sundays just watching. But one thing that was really interesting about the book collectors when you would actually do a history segment, you actually talked about like, the history of Jack Kirby or actually the name of Captain Marvel and Shazam. And I mean the most recent one, which was about the you know, of everything else, the Peanuts character, Franklin, I actually sent it to my English teacher and she was like, wow, this is actually great. She did some checks and she's like, yeah, that, that's kind of true. Like, can I just, do you think I can probably use that for a story? I said, I don't think Eddie's going to mind. It's off. It's, it's on a public website. I think he'll be Go for it. That So, but Go yeah, for it. I, I mean, I always get it because there's some that are very funny. And I know, you know, your wife, Kristen, tends to be the antagonist most of the time in the comic strip. And sometimes, you know, you laugh and sometimes you're like, oh, I'm actually at Eddie's side. Oh, you know what? I'm on Kristen's side. Of this, Of course, I know she got really <laughs> mad at me when I when you because, you know, you make fun of The Bachelor at one point. I ended up saying something about The Bachelor and she was like, and he's blocked and I'm not talking to Ryan ever again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's got a good humor uh, about all of it. When I first started doing it, I was. Uh, well, first off, for people who aren't familiar with my comic strip, it's kind of somewhat semi-autobiographical, a little uh, exaggerated for humor, but it's based on me and my wife and my comic book collecting and all the nerdy stuff she puts up with living with me. And uh, uh, Ryan is referencing my wife's love for The Bachelor and all things reality TV. And um, she's got a good sense of humor about, you know, people making fun of her for liking reality TV and all that. So she was definitely kind of, you know, poking fun at you for poking fun at her. So <laughs> I wouldn't take it personally. <laughs> no, her and I had a really good laugh about that too and everything. And it, it, it's very interesting, you know, you know, as, as, as the comic, I mean, it's been 10 years since the collector start, which first of all made me go like, wait, it's been, it's 10 years. Like, holy cow. I remember when the first issue hit everything, but how is it, how's the collectors kind of evolved over time? Cause I mean, some of your art style has definitely changed uh, from the earlier days to where it is too. But like some of the humor has been very consistent. I definitely like the one the classic one where you had the watcher for Marvel comics and you talk about things like, okay, fine. Your keys are at the bottom of the hamper. And he's like, see, was that so hard? <laughs> but you know, people who know the watcher, like get that joke. And then some people are like, what is, what is he talking about? I don't get that. <laughs> well, it, it's very, I mean, some of it is just really kind of general as far as the humor goes, because anyone who's married can get the dynamics of, you know, being, having a significant other and kind of the stuff that goes on. And then some of it is very much more insider baseball when I'm making reference to the watcher where I'm, I'm on the moon talking to the watcher and the gags kind of revolve around stuff like that. Uh, but I think in this day and age with the Marvel movies and even the DC movies being so popular now, I think a lot of people are kind of, you know, they might not know the specifics, but they kind of get it, you know? Uh, I, I think it's getting to be much, much more different than when I was a kid where you had to hide the fact that you liked comics. Otherwise, people would make fun of you and beat you up. And now everybody has seen the movies. Everybody's wearing a Captain America or a Spider, Spider-Man T-shirt out in public, you know. And uh, uh, the nerds have won. They've <laughs> taken over the earth. 
Which is very true, because like I said, I people always ask me, like, you know, Ryan, why did you get out of comics? I said, because it was the early 90s and they weren't cool anymore. And I kind of got out of it. And when I came back, of course, as I've had this conversation with Zach, you know, the clone saga had started and we were just getting to the Grant Morrison era and Mark Waite era of DC comics. So I kind of got in, you know, I was into that, too. But still, I'd always get people look at me like, why are you reading comics? Who cares about comics anymore? And then, you know. <laughs> 2008 rolled around, you know, the Iron Man movie and, you know, people who were haters, that's like, oh, yeah, you're all right. And you're the expert. You know, I was watching Shia. Who exactly are the Wrecking Crew or blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, oh, mm-hmm. Daredevil, Born Again, isn't that based off this? Why is he wearing a yellow and red costume? Like, oh, so now you come to me for all the answers. Exactly. Yeah. So- <laughs> of course, I have to say, Eddie. I think you do beat me out on a few on a few things too, especially with some other uh, characters and so forth. I mean, you definitely got more of the comic history into a few other things, and which is very interesting. Just before we start recording, and this is audio, but you can't see. There's an amazing collection of uh, collectible cups that were actually done through Seven Eleven and through other ones from the '60s, '70s, and the Superman movie ones are up there too. But well, you know, let's Eddie- be clear here: they're not cups; they are nice glass tumblers. <laughs> oh, that, that's true. They are they are glass tumblers. In fact, there might have been an Iron Fist Power Man tumbler that I was trying to get my hands on last year, which I might finally purchase this year since they are one of my favorite duo characters of Iron vintage, Fist. Vintage, vintage glass yeah, tumblers. That's true. Yours are vintage. They, they they are the yeah, folks. These are these are not remade ones for collector's sake. They are the original creations that are in pretty pretty great shape too. And for some reason, I can look at the uh, Robin that's in the picture, and for some reason, I'm hearing Casey Kasem's voice there as a <laughs> <laughs> super friends Robin for everything. So. Yeah. And, and that's really interesting. I mean, you're the co-owner and manager of Heidi Ho Comics, which is actually one of the oldest comics comic stores there in California. Um, you know, what led to you actually deciding to put into this? Because you you did some very interesting things to get your uh, hands on this organization. And unfortunately, um, things have happened that you've done it, including decorations. And I saw the other day on your Instagram, uh, a very rare comic you got a hold of, too. So what what went into the, you know, get, becoming um, co-owner of Heidi Ho Comics? And what do you actually look for in, a, in running a business? Because the truth is, you're the only guess i've ever had it actually owns a comic shop so you know what what are the days ins and outs there uh well it's funny i i saw a meme in a uh, comic shop retailer group on facebook that um said hey you know got tired of working nine to five so uh, i bought a comic shop now i work 24 <laughs> 7 which is totally accurate it really is accurate i mean it literally it takes over your life so much so that I worry that I'm not going to have enough time for my cartooning career, but somehow I managed to balance everything. And, um, well, I will preface that by saying that I did about two, three years ago, I stepped back from managing the shop. Uh, I'm still co co owning it, but I stepped back from managing the shop after a good six, seven years of doing that because it really was taking over my life. And, uh, um, just, causing, causing more stress than I really wanted. So I'm still active. I'm still in the shop uh, on a regular basis, but I kind of had reached the point where I wanted to hand over the reins of actual day-to-day management to somebody else. So uh, that said, um, how I got into it was I was actually working for another shop at the time. Uh, I was working for a shop here close to my house and uh, the owner of that shop, uh, I was running their eBay store, their online presence, all that kind of stuff. And the owner of that shop said, hey, Heidi Ho is actually up for sale. Are you interested in maybe partnering up and buying it? And at that time, I thought, well, yeah, 
if I'm going to work as hard as I'm working, uh, because anytime I work any kind of job, it's like I, I really try to put my all into it, you know, and if it's something I don't like, then obviously I'm going to find something else that I do like that I can that I can put my all into it. Otherwise, what's the point? So I thought if I'm going to be working this hard, why not work this hard for myself? So I said yes. And the way I afforded to pay for my half of the shop was I sold off my entire collection of Amazing Spider-Man comics. I owned Amazing Fantasy 15 and Amazing Spider-Man number one all the way through at that time, issue 700. So I had a complete run that I took several years to finish. And I sold the whole thing off to raise the money to buy my part of Heidi Ho Comics. And I still cry. I still cry myself to sleep every night over that. <laughs> yeah. But as time went on, I've slowly started to kind of build some of that back. Uh, but unfortunately, we're now in a time where I look at what some of the older stuff is going for. And I tell myself, there is no way I'm ever going to be able to afford a copy of Amazing Fantasy, uh, Amazing Fantasy 15 ever again. Because the copy that I bought at that time, years back for 2000, mm -hmm. uh, would cost me minimum 20 now. Right. There's just no way. <laughs> and it's always funny because your character of Eddie in the comics, which is based off you, is always looking for Amazing Fantasy 15. So it's always, I yeah. always find that really ironic. I said, technically, real life Eddie had it and, of course, used it for his yeah. business, which eventually got the amazing Dr. Doom bathroom wall arts, which I thought was an yes. amazing progression, which also shows how talented Eddie is. Um, Actually, I'll let Eddie tell that story. I, I can tell it from a viewer's person, but what, what was the story of the Dr. Doom wall, as they say it in Heidi Ho? Well, when we bought the shop, it was uh, we've since moved twice since we bought the shop. Uh, the first location was like a giant, almost like a giant warehouse. And I never really cared for it. It just was just big, cold and sterile. It looked like a giant warehouse that has just been converted into retail space. And um, the part uh, at the, the end of the um, at the shop was the bathroom and just the outside wall of the bathroom was just, just plain, dirty, dingy, and it needed to be repainted. And I thought, well, I can just repaint it the same old white color and have it look boring, but why not do something interesting? So, uh, and, and maybe, you know, when this, um, this recording goes up, this podcast goes up, maybe we can post a picture of it along with it. But I decided, well, I'm just going to paint a giant face of Dr. Doom on this wall <laughs> and this door. And uh, it took me like a solid week, week and a half to do because I was constantly, I was doing it in the evenings and we have a lot of gaming that goes on in the evenings after the store is closed. So uh, the bathroom is accessible to all the gamers that are there playing. So I was, I would have, I paint for a few minutes and then get interrupted by someone who's got to use the bathroom and then get painting <laughs> again and then get interrupted again. And it would just go on all night that I'm painting. But it so it took me longer than I should have. But uh, it ended up just being this giant face of Dr. Doom. And every time we get a lot of tourists in the area in Santa Monica. So every time tourists would come in and look around the shop and, and buy stuff, that would be like the big focus. And they would all take pictures of themselves next to the big Dr. Doom face. 
and it's very impressive because i was like saying it's very jack kirby style because the way the design was done but i remember you posting the progress of it when you first did it, i was like what is he doing this wall and as soon as i saw the screen <laughs> I was like, it's dr doom i know it's doctor and yep sure enough it was dr doom everybody's uh, yeah Marvel. well of course if i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it kirby style and also the uh benefit of doing it that way is if you do it in that more kind of silver age art style you're doing minimal colors you know mm -hmm. like the art style now which is all digital there's lots of blending and shading and all different colors i just wanted something simple and literally we only used three colors which was gray black and green so it made it much easier and kirby is cool it, it, well, it's very interesting because I'm, um, it, you know, I've told you, uh, you know, uh, who, uh, a certain guest that's coming up and I'm definitely going to be talking about the color code. But that's always interesting about because people see like classic golden age, silver age, bronze age, modern colors. And they always say, well, it's like, boy, it's really interesting. What if you took an artist like Jack Kirby, if Steve Deco or Joe Simon, you know, Simon, and did it with today's modern thing? I said it would have been very interesting with the gradient colors and how that worked versus, you know, where they had the basic colors, too, because people mm -hmm. didn't seem to understand how they added those colors in an artistical style too so it's really interesting people don't really understand about how much comics have changed and you know not just art style but colorization yeah. style yeah well if you dumped kirby into comics right now that wouldn't really change much of what he does uh because he didn't ink he didn't color mm -hmm, right so he just handed over pencils so he literally just penciled all day long pencil pages and then handed them over so at that point, most likely what would happen if it was today was they would get scanned. The inker would probably ink them digitally. And so they would have a different look rather than the classic look from the silver or bronze age. And then you would have the colorist on top of that doing more kind of coloring, uh, which is, you know, the style of today. And there's actually been some publications where they have taken Kirby's work and recolored it uh, when they reprint some of his work. And so you can see what it would look like with today's coloring. And it, I guess in a way it's kind of nice, but it is off-putting because his art style just so much more fits that flat colors that really emphasizes uh, his lines and his poses and all that stuff. So I don't know if it would be a great fit, but you can actually see works online of his work being colored by today's tools. Man, I should check that out. But I, I have to say, I don't know if I could take today's colorings, like say of the New Gods era when Jack Kirby created all those characters in the 70s, like Dark Side and Big Barda and, and so forth. Other styles. Like, I don't think it would look right. Now, maybe, you know, you'd have a little bit more, you know, not as much overthink as we know Big Barda was in her, as we like to call it, her metallic bikini for about mm -hmm. 20 years before they gave her the well-known armor look and even Bruce Tim and people don't know Bruce Tim, Batman animated series and so forth. Bruce Tim wanted to go with that classic Jack Kirby style on Barda and of course later on he did give her the armor and Justice League Unlimited but yeah it was interesting how much of a fan he was then he said I always just like the characters in their natural state but then he says but I've been you know partial to the updated looks too because you know there's some looks that just don't fly he said in 2008 versus 1974 <laughs> right oh exactly yeah so it it does look a little off-putting if you see today's colors on Jack's work but I think maybe part of that does come from the fact that we've so long been used to seeing it one certain way and then if you do it differently it is a little little jarring at first 
Yeah, it's your problems on that. Now, and, and speaking of both comics, color, and so forth. So, you know, when you do the collector's comics, exactly what what is the timetable on that, too? You know, I we've had talk where it's like, well, you know, give me a good day and I can get a page done a day if I'm doing a regular comic. But, you know, you do yours, you ink those, and you scan them, and, you know, they're they're through the website or on your uh, social media page. But what um what really goes into the full playing stage for just to get out a normal, you know, five panels of the collector's? Uh it's usually broken up over a few nights or a few days, depending on how much time I have that week. And usually I will uh, pencil one day, ink another day, uh, color another day, and then letter it another day. Uh, sometimes I have a day where I have more time and I'll kind of combine and do, you know, more in one day than it to save time. Uh, but for the most part, I like to break it up. I don't like to, and I rarely ever do have like a, full entire day you know six seven eight hours to do nothing but work on the strip so for like the two or three hours that i do have in a day i'll just break it up in small tasks uh, pencil and i still do it traditionally on 11 by 17 board uh, pencil it with blue line pencil and then usually the next night come in and ink it and then the next night scan it in and color it and then i um it's funny i i joke around that i actually employ the marvel method for <laughs> um, doing my comic strip, which for those who aren't familiar, the Marvel method back in the time when Stanley was writing everything was he would give an idea to the artist. They would generally draw it out and then Stan would come back later and put in the dialogue. And that's kind of what I do. I start off with the basic idea of what I want the situation and the gag to be, but I don't have it fully written in my head. And I don't let that stop me or slow me down. I just start drawing it, not fully knowing exactly what's being said as far as the dialogue goes but i know what i what what basically the situation is and what the gag is going to be and after i do all the art i'll sit down and go okay well now here it is now i got to actually write this vague idea that i have and thank god most of the time it all works out there's only been once or twice where i've really painted myself in a corner and realized well the gag i have is now different in my head and it doesn't work with what i do <laughs> so um i've a couple times had to just literally start all over but for the most part I, yeah i use this weird marvel method where uh the writer and artist being both me one the writer side is saying okay artist this is the idea go ahead and draw it and when you're done i'll, I'll write it and so it's all just kind of just happening in my head the two different people so that's the basic method. Um, I've always, since I started, said I'm going to do a few extra and have some ready to go. So I have a backup so that some weeks when I get busy, I've got one ready that I don't have to worry. It's never happened. It's never, ever happened because, you know, if unless you're doing this full time as your only profession, you've got other things, other responsibilities, other things taking up your time. You don't have as much time to, to do, you know, a whole bunch ready to go just that you can have in reserve. So every week after I post my comic strip, I'm right back at ground zero, right at, you know, the beginning of, okay, well, now I got to think of a whole new gag and whole new comic strip and draw it for next week. So there's that feeling of when I post it, when it goes up, of feeling of victory, like, ah, I did it. I got it all done. And now I can relax. No, I can't because now I got to come up with a whole new one for the coming week. <laughs> so there's never any rest. 
<laughs> and, it, and it's funny too the ones you've done i remember when captain america and the winter soldier came out and you know you know you had you basically had a strip come out barely two two three weeks after the movie had come out talking about that and saying best movie ever and then of course talking about spoilers and you get it you get attacked you get yelled at by another go- movie goer which was yeah in line yeah gag where he, yeah. you know that gets censored too because he's swearing at you it's, it's pretty good but you know there's Thank also you. there's been other you know there's been other ones like wow that just happened wow eddie must have just like said hey you know what i'm gonna do this one so I've always kind of wondered what that process is versus, you know, it's like, it's like in my podcast, I was like, yours is being recorded. This is, this is a Sunday being recorded. You'll air the following, you know, it will drop Monday, but I recorded somebody on Thursday, but hers will not drop for about two and a half weeks because just the way the scheduling had to work in the timing mm-hmm. of the episodes. Um, I, I, I have to say with mine too, it's like, I, you know, it comes to Friday because I said, I started doing these reflection weeks called as I walk home, because I, you know, I live right behind the high school. I'm a, 12, 15 minute walk away from the high school. But some days it's like, I, I start walking. I'm like, what am I going to talk about today? <laughs> and then it's like, and then there's, there's been a week where it's like, I know exactly what I'm going to talk about when I walk yeah. on Friday, but then you'll get a day like today where it's pouring rain outside. I mean, you're in a heat wave in California. I've got pouring rain here in Illinois. I, I might be like, Oh, what? Let me talk to my, uh, as I drive home, it's a whopping one minute, <laughs> two minute episode <laughs> as I drive home. And I'll, I'll talk from the garage half the time while the dog's looking, looking at me like, when are you, when are you going to let me outside? dad come on let me out tyler's not gonna be home yet let me outside why are you on your phone (laughs) (laughs) so it it, i always i I always just like wonder like how your process went with that too and like you said doing the marvel style too because you know i've written a graphic novel in a kid's book and no the first one was done in the marvel style as i say because my artist at the time natasha she had to do that she just wanted to know what was going on in the mm-hmm. panels as she drew it she just like can you at least give me an idea what the dialogue would be and i would say oh, okay that is what she did it versus when i did small hope um destiny who was my artist on that children's book no we we had that down to the t we knew exactly what was being said in those panels how it was supposed to work because it was just the way the dynamic worked out so it was edited later on because there was some issues with um that my editor caught like that doesn't make sense in this this sense of the of the dialogue we need to fix it this way i went oh okay no problem but yeah it was interesting how ours was like was full script and then it was just you know like you said the marvel way where it's just like this is what's going on in the panel things change and many writers have done i mean kurt Busick said himself too he would he would write things for george perez or other people and actually avengers 26 there was a there was a line where he wanted scott lang ant-man to see whoa rick jones is the new captain marvel secret identity blah 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 and he goes i own both your albums he goes so you're the guy that was not in any of the original script he just <laughs> wrote that thinking he's like i had to it just made sense to make that joke in there and even peter david went who was writing captain marvel at the time and said i never thought of that joke well done kurt yeah, well done yeah but it completely came out of nowhere in the dialogue in the final in the final later uh before the before they published it yeah i think it's a misconception for most people who aren't in a creative career who aren't doing something creative that for someone uh, who's been, well, for someone like me, who's been doing their thing for 10 years that, Oh, we've got it down pat. We're, we're pros. We know exactly what we're doing at all times, you know, in our creative process. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. Uh, Most of the times I have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) I have no idea where the ideas that I have are coming from, but I just thank God that they keep coming. And, um, you know, a lot of times people who've been doing this for 10 years, 20 years or whatever, sometimes there are times where we're just as clueless at, as that person who's just starting, you know, and, and we have, we just have a little more experience in, tr- in getting out of that and make something, making something solid 
out of that kind of, I don't know what I'm doing kind of space that your head is in. So uh, yeah, we're just like the people that are, you know, one year into this, this journey of creativity that, that us creative people seem to be on. And it's really interesting because, you know, um, you know, Cobra Kai season five just dropped down too. And they were mm -hmm. even saying themselves too, like we knew where we wanted to go by season three, but they said, once we got into season four and changed networks, we had a better idea, but they said, you know, COVID changed things where we had to plan things out more, but they said sure. that made us actually think like, okay, there might be an ending or, you know, we might not be able to really finish the show where we want to, where would we like to go with the characters? Most of them said themselves like, well, you know, outside season one and two, we had no idea where the series would go. Once season one was a success, Success. We're like, well, okay, what would we want to do by the time we get to season three? And then once they got on Netflix and they were doing things, they say, okay, we know where season four should go. But then, you know, COVID happened. They said, okay, we're probably going to have to film constantly. We need to plan out season five right now. And if something goes wrong, mm -hmm. say we're done with five or we're going to definitely go into six and wrap it up. But we'd like to spin off characters. And they've said themselves, they have some characters on their show. They're like, we never knew, thought they would go this way. It's like we kind of introduced them, see where it was going. And even one of our favorite writers, JMD Matias, you know, Craven's the last hunt. And I'm hoping to have JM on here at in a future podcast episode himself he said many times like he had an idea but he did not know half the time where a lot of his stories were going to go sure during his spider-man and I, I think people don't understand i mean sometimes it's a good thing and sometimes it's a bad thing i mean sometimes people will introduce a character and it keeps going bad instead of saying okay maybe i need to drop this character they say no i'm just going to keep keep going and mm -hmm. maybe eventually i'm going to figure out and then they never figure it out and many people go like so so why didn't you try i was like well i don't like to give up on an idea but you're right They're, i think that's the hardest thing about a writer is when you officially say this is a bad idea let's just finish it and move on yeah or the opposite happens where a character that they just thought of as a throwaway character suddenly resonates and everyone loves that character and is really popular and they realize oh okay well now i gotta kind of move in that direction because that's mm -hmm. what everyone seems to be responding to and to what you said about uh cobra kai and the seasons i think a lot of people in the industry television industry probably think that way they have a really good idea of what they want to do in that first season or second season but they haven't thought beyond that because they don't even know yet if the show is even going to get picked up or if it's even going to last that long. So, you know, they're thinking about, hey, I'm going to put all these great ideas I want in this first season because I don't know if I'm even going to have a second. And then when they get a second, they go, okay, they think just exactly what you said. Okay, what am I doing now? <laughs> you know, and uh, same with um, what I'm doing. I had no idea that uh, I was going to be going for 10 years. I didn't know uh, that I was going to be at a point where 10 years later, I'm still doing what I'm doing. And it's like, okay, well, what can I do that's bigger and better now? Yeah. And I think that's a really good point. I mean, you've, like you said, you've had the collections and so forth, but I mean, you've also been at conventions speaking about being an expert. You were on a certain biography and you know, there it was, it was like, here's Eddie D'Angelini comic book expert. I don't think you were expecting to be on this, you know, history channel episode or doing this. You're like, wait, I'm doing what now? <laughs> you know, I'm just the guy who knew his comics. I know one time yeah. I got pulled up being like, well, Ryan, you know, you know, masters of the universe very well. So do you want to be on this one thing? I was like, I'm, I, I'm doing what I'm like, Oh, okay, sure. Um, <laughs> I'm like, I'm just, was a guy who collected the toys and just watched the series, but okay, sure. You want me to use me for a, a collector's edition for Chicago. I'll, I'll be more than happy to do that. I was like, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. So, you know, it's really at, interesting. Yeah. At some point, if you're doing something for so long, you can't help but get good at it. And 
after so many years, people start looking to you as like, oh, well, you're the guy that has all the info. You're the guy that knows what you're doing. You're the guy that knows how to do this. So everyone starts coming to you. Like when I first started, you know, first few years, I was like, God, I wish I could get on a panel in a convention. That would be so great. And then I did. And then I did again and again and again. And, you know, to the point where people see me and they go, oh, that's the guy that knows how to do web comics or that's the guy who knows how to self-publish. And uh, I would get people coming up to me and asking questions. How do I do this? How do I do that? And it's weird for me still, because while I love imparting the information and experience that I've gained, I certainly don't think of myself as, you know, the end all be all the, the person, the authority that has all the information because I feel like I'm still learning stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, even after 10 years, there's so much that I realize I still don't know that I have to try to learn. So, but Hey, any, any wisdom that I can impart on someone that's maybe not as further along as me. Great. I'm happy to do it. I, I love doing it. Oh, and, that, and that's always something I say myself as a teacher. I mean, I, I mean, I've, you know, I have a doctorate too, and you know, mobile and professional development people always go to me, but I said, but I'm always learning. I've, I've also used tools years ago that I say, you know what, these just don't work out now or like, Oh, I've, I've used this tool. It's evolved. It's combat. I still had, and someone's like, I want to do something different, but I always say myself too, is like, I'm not the end all be all. I mean, even though when I was writing my dissertation, they tell you, don't think you're the end all be all. You're an expert in what your spot is, but it's never going to be the end all be all because you're still learning. But the truth is you're passing off your experience your wisdom is like and how many people you know right now not 15 more pages and they discredit their own work saying i mean even stephen hawking said you know i'm working on a new paper and it completely throws away my entire dissertation at oxford and he didn't he admitted it he was like i'm throwing the whole thing away because i i've I've learned and there's something new i need to look at and he he threw his own dissertation and i think no matter what career you're in whether it's teaching whether it's creative career anything science uh you've got to constantly be thinking that way. If you get uh, to a point where you think to yourself, okay, well, I'm the end all be all. I know everything. And you just stop and go stagnant. Everyone is just going to pass you by. And before you know it, you're just old hat. You're like, um, and I hate to make this analogy, but there are people in, in the comic industry that think that, you know, if they did some great bit of work within a particular decade or year or whatever, they think, you know, i I've made it on the end all be all. I don't need to work hard anymore. You know, everything should just start coming to me now. And what happens is they stagnate and other people pass them by because there are other people that uh, not just people that are up and coming, but there are other people that are willing to continue to say, I don't know everything. There's so much more happening. Things are changing and I've got to change with it so I can stay on top. And the people that don't do that are the ones that sink to the bottom, unfortunately. And that's absolutely true. And I, I know even Mark Wade was making this talk himself on social media not too long ago thing. I always think of uh, Steve Scross, you know, and we have, maybe he might not be one of our favorite Spider-Man artists or whatnot, but there was stuff too. But he talked about when he went to work for the Matrix and then later how he jumped between comics and TV and movies. He said, I'm always an artist who's learning to grow. And you know what? The movie industry is different than the comic industry. Yeah, my art style is like, I've had it change. He's like, I, as a writer versus an artist, it's a whole different universe. He kind of learned early on in his career at 26 that he didn't know it all he's he got mm-hmm. he got his his he got the work with you know alan moore he got to write spider he got to draw spider-man he got to write and draw wolverine and then he stepped back and said i just achieved my dreams he's like now what do i do you know what i need to go find that out and that's when you know he led to 
designing this stuff for the matrix and he's been yeah. everything since then. I think that was a great example of a, a somebody in the industry who kind of learned at a very early age before he was 30 years old saying, you know what, I've, I've achieved the dream. Now, where do I go? And that, I think yeah. that's a great thing. As you said, you know, some people will do a bunch of stuff and then they're like, well, I've done everything and now I'm moving on. And I, or you, you, you should, you should be coming to me. Cause I've, I did these great really ideas and we're like, I said, we're not mentioning names, but it's been very common. And even professional artists themselves have even gone or, writers have said like yeah i hate to say it i'm just as guilty i thought i knew it all and i got a big as they say i got a big reality check as a result yeah and god bless those like you said who figure all of that out in their 20s and 30s because they are way ahead of the game mm -hmm. uh and i don't buy into this mentality of whatever it is you want to achieve you've got to achieve it you know by the time you're 30 or whatever or whatever age people seem to set as that guidepost because that's such BS. That just says that you're only vital to this particular age. And after that, don't bother learning anything new. Don't bother trying anything new because it's too late. Mm -hmm. And I don't buy that. I don't buy that at all. I, when I started my comic strip, I was already in my early forties. Uh, I'm 54 now. So I started late and I'm very much of the opinion that uh, there's no such thing as being starting too late. So for me, even to say I started late, again, is just completely wrong. Uh, the only upside for people who start younger than later is you've got more energy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I you will can agree get with more that. done. You can stay up later and work and, and not be so wrecked the next day. That that's a benefit. You know, and like right. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm 44. It's like, I can't stay up late. Like I used to like, yeah, you'll have no. nights where you just can't sleep, but then there's just like, I can't do this anymore. I just, I just don't yeah. have that energy or body right. mentality. I mean, today I was saying like, I'm back down to 187 pounds. I've been 187 pounds since I was 26. So, you know, it's a goal me and yeah, I got more energy, but at the same time is it's like, but I'm not like, I'm not 23 and you know, you could hit me with a baseball bat and I still be like, Hey, what's up? Let's keep going. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just for people to know, I have been hit it with a baseball bat at 23. <laughs> I think we all have at some point or another, you know, if, if you played any sports or had, of misspent youth i think we all have at some point but congrats on the weight loss uh that's Thank fantastic you. that's that's always um another thing that as you get older you have to be more conscious of is your health and your exercise and your eating and all that uh but to the earlier point it is never too late and there's so many examples of that in action it, you look at stanley and jack kirby they didn't create the marvel universe until they were in their 40s mm -hmm. um Another great example is Edgar Rice Burroughs. He didn't start writing until he was 50. Oh, yeah. That's a great example. Yeah. He he worked all kinds of jobs. Like, I think he worked, if I remember correctly, he worked for the city. He was like a, a surveyor for the city, among other jobs where he was helping to build roads. And I think he was a city clerk, too. He was actually yes. a selected official at some point, too. Yeah. He, he never thought he would be going into writing, but he said, he's like, well, I, I was doing this for the city. So I figured, well, I might as see if people want me for the job. So he ran for office. And then he, I think he did that for like six years. So he went yeah. through two terms. Yeah. And then not until he turned 50, did he start writing and then created, obviously created Tarzan and, and John Carter and all that stuff. So, and, you know, had a very long prolific career as a writer in his second half of life. So yeah. Is it ever too late? No. Yeah. And I, I think for all of our listeners, that's a great message too. It's something I try to teach my kids too. I mean, they're thinking like, well, if I don't do this before I'm out of high school, I'm not doing it. Or, you know, I can't wait to get out of high school and I'm going to have this. I'm like, guys, 
you, you don't know where life is going to take it. If you got a great plan now, go for it. I'm not going to stop yeah. you. But at the same time is you got to also realize, don't think it's the end all be all just because this didn't happen to you. Doesn't mean it couldn't later on happen, but also at the same time, don't, you know, don't, don't, as they say, don't seclude yourself. Don't say, Hey, this is what I'm going to do. And that's going to be the great life for me. Like, but you don't know where that's going to be in five or mm -hmm. 10 years. I mean, I tried the acting circuit. I actually did shows. I did voiceover work. I actually got paid money to do voiceover work for the, the museum of science and industry. I mean, I'd never had made that much money doing seven hours of work in one week, but it didn't go anywhere and nothing continued past that too. And then, you know, I was on weird odd jobs and everything for several years, but Times changed, things went on, and that's kind of how it went. But at one point, I was on a fast track to do management at the university I worked in, and it would have paid good money. And they gave it to somebody who wasn't even done, not only not even done with college, he was barely 21, and he didn't even finish his degree. And they gave him, like, here's a $60,000 job for you, which mm -hmm. he didn't even he didn't even last seven years after that. He's like, you know what, I want to move on, and he, and he quit. <laughs> yeah, because you got plenty of time. You can try all kinds of things. And if one thing doesn't work out and you try something else, no problem. You've got the experience of having tried all those things and having been all those things that it gives you the experience of whatever it is that you really decide is your passion later on in life. And maybe, you know, that's your passion for a good 10 years. And maybe you find something else after that. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, it's like me for podcasts. I was, I was in some of the earlier days of the podcast, like Brad, I did one things and I did my own ones too. I went away from it. I've come back to it, but I've, you know, I've learned, I've grown from it. I've, you know, I've enjoyed it, but there's other things too. I've, I, you know, you've seen, you know, you have one of my perler bead match pieces I gave you right there for you and Kristen from the collectors, and everything. I did those yeah. many years ago. I never thought that would come back. I never thought it would turn to an educational unit. I'm about to bring it into there. I have 17, 18 year olds are like jumping up and down. Like they can't believe they're doing it. But then I said, I did this when I was five. I wasn't expecting to be doing this like 14 <laughs> years later. I'm like, but that's the good things and things change, but you know, you do have things and I'm hoping I'm hoping to go into some other things a little later on too. I got into writing myself. I've actually published work, you know, both good and bad, but you know, there's other things I've kind of looked at like, yeah, you know what, maybe I want to try that sometimes. And there's some things I never want to go back to doing again. <laughs> Cause it's like, you know, yeah. what? I, I just can't do those anymore. It's not an age factor. It's just like, I really learned. I don't like that. So I don't think I'm going to sure. do it anymore. <laughs> and thanks again for that beat art. Uh, oh, you're welcome. Yeah, have a chance to thank you right here uh, during the podcast. It was incredible. I, I didn't even, realized that it was as big as it was until it came. So it is incredible. Thank you. You are welcome. I'm at, and my wife has been promoted to librarian at her elementary school. I mentioned on a previous episode here. Um, episode's going to be actually dropping next tomorrow. But uh, I'm I'm actually doing design perler beads for. I did um I did a dog man and a cat kid comics and a cap and arm pants for my son. He's a little older now. He still likes the characters, but he's like, you know, I don't really. But they went to the library. I'm making ele elephant and piggy, and I just made you know don't don't trust the pigeon here. But now it's kind of evolved to doing it. And now the kids and even the teachers are like, oh, that's great. Ryan, can you make me some? I had my new coworker say, hey, I like how you did your signs for your class and you make those for me too. I'm like, sure. And like, I'll pay you. I'm like, just pay me for the the beads because I had to get a big stack of those beads and you know they're never cheap. But at the same time, it was like that. But all of a sudden, I got more teachers saying, hey, I want to do that too. That looks kind of cool. And I could use this in my class. I'm like, oh, that's kind of what happened with me too. But um, I have to say with the Perler beads and you know what led to the name for this podcast, the Pixel Classrooms, is how pixels have come to it. But uh, when, I, when I see people like you, Eddie, and Kristen who get – get those pieces and they, and they get it. It's just, it's just the smiles on their faces, but some people just look at it and go, Whoa, where, where did you buy that? Like, I didn't buy that. Somebody made that for me. They, they, they did what? 
Yeah. <laughs> you must be talented. I'm like, no, I'm not that talented. <laughs> I just, I, I, I just have a thing for pixel art. <laughs> it's it's yeah. amazing. You're, you're welcome. But at the same time, I was a little worried about that when you said, oh, I want to do this one. And I got the pattern, but I'm just like, I'm so worried because if people see the comic and Kristen's on here, I was so worried about K Kristen's complexity because, you know, because of her ethnicity and everything else. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like, oh, I can get the face right. But then it's like, well, then the color's got to be shadow. And this is, is this too dark. Is this too light? <laughs> like, it's just, it, I, as I say, I can't do the silver agey colors, like a little yeah. black, a little green and a silver. And that's done. It's more like, you know, I got to put this. Yeah, it, it's brown. like how the Hulk, it's like how the Hulk was green, uh, gray when, the, the first couple issues because I couldn't get the color right. But no, um, <laughs> it's totally fine. In fact, um, she and I had a good laugh about it only because uh, she runs a lot. She does marathons, half marathons, things like that. So because she's outside uh, every morning doing minimum six miles every day, she has gotten darker and darker as <laughs> as the years have gone on. So she's getting very close to matching it at some point. <laughs> <laughs> That's what people are going to look at like, whoa, it's like looking into a mirror. So if you're in a yeah. pixel farm, it's like, that's right. It's like Nintendo time, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, Eddie, this has been an amazing time and talking to you about this. Is there anything you want to share about what's coming up for the collectors here in the big 10th anniversary or maybe what's going on with Heidi Ho Comics come the holiday season, maybe? Well, as far as the shop goes, holiday season is always a busy time. Uh, it's September. Tour season starts to wane. And I'm glad that actually a good chunk of it is actually back considering the pandemic it just was wiped out and there were no tourists whatsoever for a couple of years. And uh, we didn't even get into it, but I think you also know about the fact that the shop was looted during yeah. the pandemic as well. So yeah, it's been a rough couple of years, but it's doing well. We uh, Holiday season is always really good for us. So we'll be planning for all kinds of fun sales and events. Oh, right now as well. I don't know when this is going to air and if it's going to be over, but, uh, and you mentioned Mark, Wade's name. We are actually going to have him for an in-store signing at the last Wednesday of this month in September. So that'll be fun. And that's real convenient. We've had him more than once in the shop because he actually lives literally just a few blocks from the shop. So he's, he can just walk to the signing when he's got a new book coming out. So he, you know, that's always fun. Well, that's good too, because um, this will drop in a week, so it'll be just in time for, yeah, for that. Yeah. Sign. So last Wednesday of September, um, Santa Monica, Heidi Ho Comics, he'll be there. And then as far as collectors goes, I continue to do it every week, and you can read all the new ones online for free at collectorscomic.com. And there's links to all the socials, so you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter right there on the website. You can click on through to all of those. And... Uh, I had just, I'm sure you're aware of this because you do follow the strip relatively closely, but I had just finished a couple months ago uh, my most successful Kickstarter career or Kickstarter, excuse me, Kickstarter campaign. <laughs> um, and it was for a collected trade paperback of the first three collectors annuals, which uh, are completely sold out. You can't get them anymore at all. And I know you've got one and two, so you've probably got some like serious collector's items that'll go for some big money real soon on eBay. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the end of this month, in fact, I'm excited because tomorrow, which is Monday, all my copies and nice big 14, 15 giant boxes are coming from the printer by UPS tomorrow. Ooh. So I'm going to finally have this new trade paperback and it's going to be available and up for sale on my website and everywhere else uh, come the end of this month. So I'm excited about that. 
And I'll definitely have that in the show notes too, guys. So you can go ahead and check out everything with Eddie as well as everything for Heidi O Comics. And like I said at the beginning of the episode, I was actually originally born in Santa Monica. So that's an interesting thing too. You can even say like, and this guy who made this was born in Santa Monica, who was yeah. on this podcast. All never- right, you glanced over that completely. Yeah. And I, I didn't know this about you. So that's actually kind of fun. So you were born in Santa Monica. Did you, uh, were you raised in Santa Monica as well? Or did you move away at a young age? Um, so, and, and not many people know this. So I was born in Santa Monica and my parents after that too, they got a new thing. So then I was uh, gone for a year. We were actually just outside of Beverly Hills until I was about two and a half. And then we, of course, things had changed with my, uh, my parents' business. And they went back to Illinois, which they lived with my grandparents, which is where I ended up. As, as many people know in Sycamore after that and where I've lived in this area now for the last 40 some years. So okay. there, I do have some vague memories of the old bank that they went to too, because I remember saying like, I do remember this. I, I was talking to my dad a couple of years, a couple months ago. And I said this and he went, that was the bank we went to. You remember that? I was like, yeah. And it wasn't the one thing that's your mother's old Camaro. I said, yeah, I remember that. And he's like, Whoa, the fact that you remember that is really shocking. But I said it's stuck in my brain. I just remember because back then there was no seatbelt. So he went to run of the bank. My mom was in the front seat. I turned around and I was looking at the highway and everything else in the one area of Santa Monica. So, you know, at some point, maybe I was looking at where Heidi Ho was actually at because I, I don't remember exactly what which bank it was. But um, yeah, that was that's what the irony is, too. So what is even more ironic is that uh, we seem to have like some kind of weird opposite <laughs> lives because that maybe you're the bizarro Eddie or I'm the bizarro Ryan, because I was born in Chicago, Illinois. And I think uh, about year or two or so I was lived there, obviously with my parents for a couple of years, and then we moved out here to LA. So we have the complete opposite um, story history that, that, that and you're right that is it's quite we are kind of the mirrors of each other we were born in the opposite states that we lived in and have kind of stayed in that area since then i mean you're a few years older than me too but that is very funny that, that just you're a right few, just a few <laughs> i just what i said just a few we're not going <laughs> people know how old we are already <laughs> but yeah it is isn't that isn't that yet we still stayed with comics after all these years and everything no mm-hmm. difference is you've actually got to talk at a panel i've always wanted to talk at a panel maybe one of these days c2e2 would be like Hey, we know this doctor over here teaches, and he's kind of a comic guy. Maybe we should, maybe we should bring him up here. I'd be like, please, you you know you know how to find me. <laughs> well, you know what? I think you actually could do. Uh, you could really get on a panel relatively easy because they have so many panels now that branch out, not just about people who work in the comic industry, but people who work in other areas that deal. Oh gosh, they kind of dabble in comics with their particular field, like people that work in education that are, um, you know, on panels talking about something particular about how, maybe like how they use comics in the classroom or things like that as a teaching tool, things like that. Or we have a good friend who's a, a longtime customer over at Heidi Ho, who is um, in the medical field. And he was on a panel the last couple of years at San Diego Comic-Con because they were talking about uh, certain comic or movie things and how they would happen in real life. And so they're having people within the medical and scientific field talking about how this might actually transpire in real life based on real science. So there's so many people that are on panels now that are from other fields that are lending their knowledge to talk about particular movies or comics or whatever. So I absolutely think that you can be on a panel of some sort. 
Yeah, I should do it because believe it or not, I was at um C2E2. This is 2014, but they had a guy and he cosplays the kingpin. And scary enough, he looked like the kingpin, but he was actually a um, community college teacher who used mm-hmm. comics in the classroom. He was we were going to a panel about comics in the classroom, and it was being led by Northwestern, the University of Northwestern, not the hospital Northwestern. And they were even talking about using like how they had used for different fields, like they used Kingdom Come to talk about religious things based off Mark Wade. They had actually used Just Society of America to actually talk about the 50s and 60s as well as a change in political movements. But then they also talked about the early days of like bullying and stuff like uh, Peter Parker's early years and two in the sixties and seventies, mm-hmm. which was very good. But a lot of, a lot of the people were in there. I was like, I never thought about that. Like, you're right. There's a good social modes. There's good there. That's almost accelerate. You know, that's almost, you know, AP, you know, you know, government classes. I never thought about that or, Oh yeah, I teach this. Uh, Cause I do, I, I teach ceremony. So, you know, I never thought about the specter and all that. And I said, mm-hmm. yeah, so you're right. Man. I might, I might try to reach out a little bit more probably for the uh, 2023 uh, panels and everything else too, because yeah, it's been a little much. back until, but at the same time schedule, but I think I might just do that, especially the way I've used classic comics as well as you know one thing about my perler beads and i'm starting this week guess what they make a lot of they make a lot of the eight bit you know mega man ones which i'm very well of various comic mm-hmm. characters from iron man to of course green lantern and then i have glow in the dark now so now they go the next level and actually you know we'll get a black light next thing you know it's like hey look it, it firestorm's hair is really on fire it's actually oh nice oh it is it's a lot of fun <laughs> And I even told the kids, like, guys, we're a different class. I have more supplies here. It's like, I'm going to make, why don't you make a regular one? Then I want you to go 3D or use glow in the dark. And they went, they made glow in the dark. I'm like, yes, they do. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, it's 2022. Exactly. We've come far. Illumination. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Eddie, thank you so much for being on the uh, Pixel Classroom podcast today. Oh, I had a blast. Thank you for inviting me. Yes. And thank you for reaching out. Uh, everything that had happened uh, thing for the guests and everything else. And, you know, I look forward to the collectors and I definitely probably think I'll get my hands on this, uh, the new annual here because of stuff like that. And hopefully one of these days it almost happened and COVID happened. I almost thought about coming down to Heidi Ho because I was supposed to be at a conference in California that got canceled. So oh. Yeah, I was like saying like, well, some of us are thinking going to Santa Monica. I'm like, I'm originally from Santa Monica. It's like, you know, I have a friend of mine who owns a comic shop. And they looked at me like, of course, you would know somebody who owns a comic shop in California. <laughs> I'm like, I know people. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, everybody else, thank you for joining us today on the Pixel Classroom podcast, especially for episode 123 here. So and if you know everything, go ahead and check out the show notes to find more about uh, the collectors as well as Heidi Ho Comics. And we will talk to everybody later. Thank you for joining us in today's episode of the Pixel Classroom Podcast. Remember, you can find us on our, our social media pieces here, right here in the show notes and the episode descriptions. If you like what you hear, please think of subscribing to us on the various networks of your favorite listening for podcasts. I hope to join you again next time for the Pixel Classroom Podcast. Thank you.